With so many fundraisers taking our courses and engaging in our community, we see a lot of people asking the same questions. And most of those questions are really about the basics of relational fundraising, the system and structure of the Veritas Way. For today's episode, we've collected some of the most common questions that even the most seasoned fundraisers sometimes need a reminder about. So stay tuned and make sure you've got the basics down. Welcome to the Nothing But Major Gifts podcast from Veritas Group, featuring Richard Perry and Jeff Schreifels. Twice a month, we bring you the latest and best thinking about major gift fundraising, so you can develop authentic relationships with your major donors. Here are your hosts, Richard and Jeff. Welcome to the podcast today. I'm Jeff Schreifels, and I've got Richard Perry here with me. In our work at Veritas, we get to interact with hundreds of fundraisers through consulting, our online academy, and our community hub. While we get a lot of questions that we would deem advanced, many are really about the basics. And Richard, you know that if you don't have the basics down, it doesn't matter what kind of new strategies you want to put in place, it won't work without implementing those basics. So today, we're going to talk about some of the basics we consistently get questions about and at many organizations where they're still struggling to get it down. Yeah, uh, we know that it's just really hard to stay on track with a, with a system or a structure. I mean, it is. You kind of get off track. But it, even if you have all the resources you need, keeping yourself accountable and focused is challenging for the best of us. And while this really isn't rocket science, there are a lot of components that require a very, very disciplined approach. That's exactly right. It isn't rocket science, mm -hmm. but it's hard work to keep focus and discipline, as Richard just said. So let's get started with the first basic question our team has heard in the field many, many times. And here it is. Veritas always recommends keeping donors in direct mail. Does that mean you shouldn't be directly asking for donors for money? Well, here's the thing. Uh, why do we say keep the donors in direct mail. Why do we recommend that? Well, because most of the donors who are now major gift donors have come from direct mail. Mm -hmm. so they, they, they gave their first gift through a direct mail piece. They were cultivated that way and they've been giving that way. Um, in addition to perhaps giving larger gifts one-on-one, -on -one. but you know, that's what they're used to. And in, in many cases that we've heard from donors, they like getting it because it gives them a, it gives them a clue of what's going on at the organization. Exactly. And I think the other point, Jeff, is like when you, and we've experienced this a lot, you take yeah. a donor and you move them out of direct mail because why? Because you put them on a caseload. Right. And then the caseload strategy doesn't actually start in gear, uh, you know, kind of engaging with the donor for two or three months. Yeah. So now there's this gap of communication right. between the organization and the donor that they're used to. I mean, we've actually seen revenue go down because we've taken people out of direct mail. And huge amounts too. Yeah, big amounts. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, and oftentimes the, uh, the whole business of well, if we leave them in direct mail and then they're on the caseload as well, isn't that a duplication of effort? I mean, how would you answer that? 
No, I would say it's something that you're enhancing. So you're still allowing the donor to give through those ways if they want to, but you're at the same time deepening that relationship with the donor. You're finding out specifically what are the things that they're passionate about and what mm -hmm. are their interests so that you can you know, figure out all the different prog programs and projects you have and match that up to ultimately ask for a large, very large gift, which they're most likely not going to do through direct mail. No one's giving a million dollars. I shouldn't say no one, because I'm sure it's happened. Mm -hmm. Very few donors give very large gifts through direct mail. Mm -hmm. It's through that mm -hmm. personal one-to-one -one outreach. Well, and, and, but I think the big point there is if you take them out, they're probably not going to hear from you. And that that's the big point uh, yeah. right there. Now, here's another basic. You have to ask for a gift. Yeah. <laughs> now, remember that? Remember that yeah. one guy that we, uh, that development, uh, was it the development director or the major? Yes, it was the development director. Very large organization. I mean, it was like yeah. probably 20, 25 million. What did he say? He said, I just want to start this meeting by saying, <laughs> <laughs> I have never had to ask for a gift. And like, he was really proud of that. Like for 25 years, he's been a development. He said, I've never had to ask for a gift. And we're looking around at each other going, and that's a badge of honor? What, what well, is and especially in light of the analysis we had done oh. of the donor file, of his donor yeah. file, which was a total, <laughs> absolute disaster. Yeah. So we were like, <laughs> no, no wonder your file's in shambles. You never asked for a gift. Uh, it, it's, it's so interesting. This whole thing about asking is such an interesting thing for me, Jeff, because it's like, okay, um, why aren't you asking for a gift? Well, a, it's not necessary, or it'll, it'll dawn on them that they need to give, or something like that. And what we keep telling folks is, if you buy into the philosophy, which which we have, have been propagating and evangelizing about, you buy into the philosophy that fundraising is not about the money. Right. The actual thing that you do with the donor in asking for a gift is you're giving them an opportunity to express their passions and interests. Exactly. And that's a gift to the donor. So why wouldn't you be doing that? Exactly. I think I mean, that's, there's just, that holds up people a lot. They think, oh, I'm taking something away from someone. It's the opposite. You're enhancing their life. You're doing something they want to do. And they find joy in giving that gift. So you're essentially robbing them of that joy by exactly. not asking a donor to give. So for maybe maybe we got to say is the reason you need to ask for a gift is because it's a gift to the donor that you're going to give them and your and by not doing that you're taking something away from them. I mean that's that's a huge thing. Yeah. You know, some other points about the direct mail thing is you can use direct mail as part of your overall strategy of cultivating and stewarding those donors. You know, the, you know there's especially around newsletters that they send out you can personalize those with notes. You can call the donor ahead of time or right after they receive it saying, hey, I just want to give you a heads up about an article in that newsletter that I think that you would like because you're interested in exactly. XYZ. Yep. Um, yep. Now, some of the things, you know, one of the things I've noticed, Richard, from organizations 
who have essentially grown up or built their donor file through direct response. So they're really, you know, they spent right. millions on acquisition and cultivating those low, low dollar donors. And now they are starting and then they have like a fledgling major gift program is that they do rely on direct response or direct mail or emails to have their donors give. And more the direct or and basically the MGO is is kind of just you know stewarding or thanking. They're not actually trying to get to know them much. They're just you know being nice and like oh mm-hmm. you're you, you're so wonderful donor. And then they just rely on well every November that donor gives and they they give through this appeal, which, so which, which means about, they're missing they're missing a number of gifts from the donor as well. Yeah. Exactly. Right. And we see it in the files. You know, when you see a donor give $1,000 every year, the same amount or 2,500, 5,000, even 10,000, that means that somebody is not reaching out to them. It means the donor is just giving that same amount. And because we've been so happy that they're continuing to give and that they're loyal, we don't get in there and try to really figure out the donor's passions and interests and just rely on the direct mail piece to bring the five or $10,000 they're going to do in November in. Right. So, so far we've done, you got, you got to leave them in direct mail. Secondly, you've got to ask for the gift. You got to ask. Third, the third thing is, this is so, so basic. Pay attention to the donor's preferences and interests and passions and communication preferences. Pay attention to that. Now, why? Uh, because it honors the donor, number one. We know that if we, that the donor knows, then we've heard them. If you honor how they want to give, they're more apt to engage with you, right? I, I mean, know, exactly. Yeah. I mean, the the, the experiences I've had, I've, uh, I, I, I remember this, and it happens way too often where you give to something and you express an interest. So you give something to to category number one. Yeah. And you get information back on categories two and three. Right. And you're not interested in two and three. You're interested in one. But they aren't paying attention. So that immediately is a is a very clear signal that the organization is just interested in your money. They don't really care about you. Exactly. Uh, so paying attention to those donor preferences and interests is so important. Yeah. Now, we've already touched on this one, but just to reiterate again, the, the, the basic thing is thinking properly about money and fundraising, that the fundraising thing is not about money. Right. And that's a basic. Now, <clears throat> I think the reason that it's not a basic in most philanthropic circles and most organizations is, is it seems counterintuitive because when you say development or fundraising, that lends you that's that sends your mind down to money yeah now right. how to get out of that is is i mean how how would you how, how would you suggest we get out of that kind of thinking well what we've been preaching for years is you need to develop that relationship out of building that relationship figuring out that donor's passions and interests their communication all those things figuring that out deepening the real getting to know that donor will result in the money rather than going after the money first you may guess you may actually get a gift oh you will probably you won't yeah. get the relationship 
donors need to feel like they can trust you. If they're going to give six, seven-figure gifts uh, to your organization, they're only going to be able to do that if they've you've established a, a level of trust that they feel like, oh, I can, I can do this with them, and I feel good about it. Um, and I mean, the other thing about this whole philosophy is that it's truly a, a it has a spiritual dimension to it, and we mean that with a small s, not a religious uh, spiritual. But yeah. it has there's a there's an intangible to that whole thing. It's about the donor's journey. It's about about them feeling fulfilled. It's about it's about uh, affirming a, a, a portion of, of the reasoning as to why they're even on the planet. Right. Uh, it's like, wow, uh, I'm helping somebody else out or I'm saving a forest or an animal exactly. or I'm dealing with this, uh, the, the solving this cancer problem or whatever. Yeah. Um, so, so important. Okay. The next basic thing is this. Yeah. The importance of telling the donor that uh, that she made a difference. Um, wow, Jeff, this is a huge one. Yeah. Uh, what is our what, what is our analysis? Most of our attrition analysis show that proves that this isn't being done well. Well, we see anywhere between as donor gives one year, at the next year we lose like forty to sixty percent of the value into the mm -hmm. next year. Mm -hmm. You put that with all the hundreds of donors that are giving, that's a huge amount of revenue being lost year over year. Why? Because that's the number one reason why donors go away. They don't know how their gifts made a difference. They don't know the impact of their gift. And that's important. And when they don't ever hear back from you, what happened? Now think about this, because this happens all the time. Someone gives a $50,000 gift and then they never hear back from the organization what happened. You know, they 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 might get a thank you, you know, thank you for the all that. But then they never hear back again. Like what actually happened? What what did it do? And you know, donors um typically are not that picky <laughs> as far as how you report back, as far as you know, it's like just get back to them and say, hey, I just wanted to follow up with you on that gift. Here's what it's doing. It's not like you have to have a 10-page a, a report on exactly what that gift did. I mean, it could be even a video just saying, hey, I wanted Something to show simple. the impact of that gift. Yeah, I've, I've actually likened that. I, I know. I've likened this whole thing to like, like how, how it affects me personally. Like, for instance, like, let's say I'm sitting here in my home in North Carolina and my friend uh, Bill up the street asked me to come help him with a project in the garage. Yeah. And it's a fairly complicated project. So I go up and I help him. It takes three hours. I've taken a, a bunch of time out. I even went to, to Lowe's and bought some of my stuff and, uh, you know, I, and gave it to him and, and transported it. And, and then we're done. And I never hear from Bill. Yeah. Hey, Richard. Uh, boy, I tell you, the thing that it really made a difference. I, I really never hear a word. You just feel bad, and, and yeah. everyone listening to this this podcast right now has been through experiences like that. Yeah, where you do something for somebody. Yeah, or you think something's going to make a difference. You hear total silence, and and uh, and then you wonder. Well, are I, you going to come say, back and do yeah. it again? Even if you're. Even if you do that, Richard, and you go, oh, I don't need to hear from them, you know, and most people who give say, well, you know, I've, 
But even if you feel like, I don't need to hear back, when you don't hear back, there is this little niggle, right? Of course like, there is. What, I'm, what's going on? What happened there? Did, did they care? Did they care about this? So this is an area of nonprofits who really want to stand out, could do so much. If they could just report back the impact, they'd be well above all the other organizations out there. And they would get a it's larger a donor share of their gifts if they did this well. We have story after story of donors who have said, you know what? I was going to give another gift to my alma mater, but you know they never talked to me. You talk to me, you tell me what, and therefore I'm going to give you what I was going to give them in addition to what I was going to give you. We've seen that happen over so over. often. I mean, and these are, these are huge amounts of money. Yeah. Do you have any other top points that you want to comment on, Jeff? Well, I think on that point, those, that's the big one. We mm -hmm. get this other question a lot around building strategic plans for donors. Mm -hmm. One is, <laughs> a basic one is, do you actually need to have a plan mm -hmm. for a donor? Um, and we're the, our total, our total thing about the Veritas way is yes, you have to have a plan for everything exactly. because you're trying to fulfill the passions and interests of the donor. And to do that, you need to have a plan for how you're going to develop that, how you're going to understand that, and then how you're going to execute on that. Um, and then similarly in their planning, they're always asking like, how many touch points do you need to send to a donor every year? And then should you have to personalize those touch points by, by each of those donors? And we respond to that by saying, yeah, you need to have at least one touch point a month, at least one touch point a month planned. And yes, you need to personalize those based on the donor. Yeah. Um, now there's can be some things that okay everyone gets a newsletter but the personalized personalized side is that well maybe your A levels get a handwritten note maybe your B and C just get a little sticky note but there's something personal to each one of those things that everyone is getting but then there are other things directly related to the donor's passions and interests that you need to think about. Like if the donor is only cares about feeding and meals, then you're going to develop a plan around that. And those touch points are going to be around exactly. those issues. So, so you cannot send the same thing to everyone. I mean, even if no. you have something like an annual report uh, that you want to send to the whole caseload, yeah. you, you can add personalized notes right. and call out key things that the donor is interested in. Yes. Uh, so, and that's that's a mistake that's often made, and probably because it's like, well, I, I want to be efficient here. I mean, it, it's easier. So yeah. I'm just going to send the same thing to everybody. Well, you can't do that. Uh, so and, I think well, the other thing this is, is that, the beauty, isn't it? This is the beauty of major gifts is that it's you only have 150 people because, so that you have the time to think about this and do these personalized uh, touch points because- They've, you know, if your organization has been just sending out mass stuff to them for years, now they're in a portfolio. This is when you start to get personal. This is the mm -hmm. beauty of major gifts. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Here's, here's another thing about touch points, and it's a, it's a quick point I want to make, is that it's a touch point doesn't necessarily equal a mailing. Right. I mean, it really doesn't. I mean, touch points, uh, what we mean by that is that there are thoughtful, meaningful, relevant opportunities to connect with donors and yes. share about their impact, their passions, and their lives. So it's, it's a, and, and a touch point doesn't have to be some highly produced. No. I mean, that's the other thing is like, Okay, we got to have a collateral piece, and it's you know four color, and you know yeah. blah blah blah, and it goes on and on with all these details, and it and it's just it's just not necessary. It could be a handwritten note, a letter, it could be a, text. a copy of some, yep, yeah, exactly, all of that stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, here's another one that we get. This question is: Do you need to do all seven steps of the qualification process if you don't get? a two-way interaction with your donors. What do you say about that? Well, you're not going to annoy them by doing the seven steps. And, no. and, 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 and the, point, the point really is to give them the space to tell you exactly what they want from you. I mean, the reason we have the seven steps is because, we're, first of all, we've proven that it takes that much to kind of actually get to the bottom of it and, and, they, and, and give people a time to respond. Yes. But the other thing is, and you got to think about this, is, from our point of view, the seven steps seems like, oh my goodness, this is just like huge amount of effort. Yeah. From their point of view, well, the first two steps, I was out on vacation over in Boston. Right. And the other step, I was in a business meeting in Atlanta. Yeah. And so I didn't get that, or I ignored it, or I filed it, or so there's all these dynamics going on. Uh, and and I think the thing is, is that you just have to realize you're not going to annoy somebody. Right. By giving the donor enough opportunity to say that they want to engage or don't want to engage. I mean, that's the point. Exactly. Mm -hmm. it, it was funny. I was at a um, recent um, breakfast in Philadelphia here. And one of our um, former clients from um, a public media station, they were there. And they came up to me and they said, the best thing that we've learned from the Veritas way is this whole qualification thing. Yeah. And the fact that you have these seven steps, she said, you wouldn't believe how many donors didn't engage until step six and seven. Exactly. But yeah. you, you know, you guys preach, stay with it, stay persistent. And I'm so glad I did because a, a huge number of donors finally got back to me after I sent that sixth or seventh touch point. And so that just was another affirmation that, you know, if you don't hear from them at, at second or third, that's when most people are like, ah, they're not going to respond. You well, got to stick same, with it's it. The, it's the same in, in direct mail frequency. I mean, yeah. I mean, we've been through this too. So oh, like yeah. I recently had a situation where a client was basically saying, yeah, we're going to probably mail uh, just one time during the year. Like, what? <laughs> one time? Yeah. Uh, well, we don't want to bug yeah. the donor. <laughs> yeah. So no, you need to mail up to... I mean, some organizations mail up to 24 times, depending on what yeah. segment it is, yeah. or 18 times. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. That's just, here's the reason. People are busy. Yeah. Uh, and so, it's, uh, or the topic of what you're sending out might not appeal to them, so they that's ignore right. it. And so, they're, they're, they're picking. So, that's why frequency and uh, is, is so important. Okay. That's right. Here's another one that we talk a lot about, Jeff. Okay. And, and here's what it is. If your donor has a high wealth rating, 
Do you need to qualify them? And do you use wealth ratings to tier donors? Yeah. Well, we're we're a little tough on those wealth ratings because mm-hmm. they can really pull attention and focus away from the donors who are actively engaging and giving generously. So in other words, there are a lot of organizations that look at this wealth thing as the way I know <laughs> uh, to to look at how what donors they should be cultivating right. rather than looking at their current giving of donors you know they can have a donor on you know it's giving $100 or something but they have a wealth rating you know that's just through the roof so they're going to put all their time on that one donor whereas they have other donors who are giving $100,000 a year and they're not uh, cultivating them because their wealth rating is not as high as the one who's given a hundred dollars. So there's all this emphasis right. on wealth ratings, how the, especially universities, they're terrible at this. They, you know, they fill up uh, portfolios for major gift officers at universities based on wealth ratings and then say, well, based on their wealth rating, you should be able to bring in $3 million from this portfolio. Uh, that's just absolutely crazy. Crazy. Now they can help give you a better picture of what the donor's potential is, but really it's about their current giving that we want to focus on and use that because that shows us how engaged they are, right? Well, now, I said that, and the other, the other dynamic there is, uh, do you want a, do you want a net worth person of a million dollars who loves to give you a hundred thousand dollars? Or do you want a person of a net worth of a uh, hundred million dollars that's giving you $25? Right. Uh, it's a little counterintuitive and it feels like you might be missing something, but really that smaller net worth person is more valuable to you. Yeah. Is showing inclination and involvement and behavior that is basically they're with you. The other person's not with you. They're that's not with you. Not yet. Um, yeah. yeah. Not yet. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that's that's why we think about wealth ratings in, in this way. That's not to say that you don't keep an eye on that big donor. Of course. Who's 25, and you might do, you might create some strategies to see if yes. they would go from 25 to 250 to 1,000, those yes, kind of things. You would. But you don't set up your portfolio based on it. Or put them in a tier, an yeah. A tier to, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, that that's that's where the mistake is. It's it's like the same thing that we've heard so many times. Hey, you need to go. I met this guy at Rotary and uh, he's very influential. Uh, he's on yeah. the city council and and he owns two companies and, and therefore you ought to spend time with him. No, no, that's not a good use of time. Exactly. It's the same dynamic. All right. Well, thanks, Richard, for joining me today on this episode and helping answer some of these basic questions that people have. And I hope this has helped you be reminded of the basics that you need to have down to be successful in major gifts. Mm -hmm. And if you want to learn more about our data proven system and structure and get all the pieces you need to create a robust major gift strategy, then I highly recommend joining our certification course for major gift fundraisers. You can find the link to learn more about this course and sign up for an upcoming session by visiting the show notes or heading to our website under training. Take care and we hope to see you in the upcoming course. See you soon. Thank you for joining us for the Nothing But Major Gifts podcast from Veritas Group. 
Richard and Jeff also write an ongoing blog that you can subscribe to for free at VeritasGroup.com. Please join us again next time.